Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 753 with Ralph Kilman. If you've heard of the TKI, he is the K in TKI. So we are going to talk about conflict, how to deal with it, what's behind it, what are our options and what may be optimal to de-stress it and more. So you'll learn one, the surprising root of almost all conflict. Two, why collaboration isn't your best and only option. And three, two strategies to overcome the stress and discomfort in conflict. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we referenced, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP753, where we got a lot of goodies for you, such as email summaries, full text transcripts, a bunch of goodies at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Ralph's story. Ralph H. Kilman, PhD, is CEO and senior consultant at Kilman Diagnostics in Newport Coast, California. In this position, he has created as well as produced all of Katie's online courses and assessment tools on conflict management, change management, and more. Ralph's online products are used by high-profile organizations such as Amazon, Bank of America, Harvard, NASA, and a whole lot more. Ralph is internationally recognized as an authority on systems change. He's consulted for numerous corporations through the U.S. and Europe, including AT&T, General Electric, the Office of the President of the United States, and many more. Ralph has published more than 20 books and 100 articles and is the co-author of more than 10 assessment tools, including the Thompson-Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, the Kilman-Saxon Culture Gap Survey, and the Kilman Organizational Conflict Instrument. Big thanks to Ralph for sharing his wisdom with us. And big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Ralph. Ralph, thanks for joining us here at How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Thank you for having me, Pete. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you. I have <laughs> I have heard of the TKI many times, and you are the K in the TKI. <laughs> yes, I am. It's pretty cool. And uh, you've also got a book we're talking about, Creating a Quantum Organization. So let's dig into this fun. Maybe to kick it off, could you share what's one of the most surprising and fascinating and maybe counterintuitive discoveries you've made about conflict over the many years you've spent researching, teaching, and exploring it? Well, so often we think about conflict as being out there between a person and other people, whether in a family or in a work situation. So we're trying to resolve those interpersonal differences of opinion, what to do, how to proceed. 
when I have discovered that you have to look inside because the conflicts begin internally. We all grow up as human beings and we have some kind of trauma. Can't be helped. It's just part of being human. I don't condone. I don't want people to have trauma. But once they have it, and they will, what do you do with it? And if you just let it sit there and get stuck in your body, and then you become an adult, then you're projecting all that trauma on everyone around you. That's the conflicts you're dealing with. And it's not just between you and other people, it's between you and your past. And until you learn to resolve those internal conflicts, you're going to have a hard time improving how you manage external conflicts. Now, that may not seem too surprising, but I have found people tend to stay away from what's lurking on the inside. It always seems to be more comfortable to talk about other people, conflicts out there, than what I'm struggling with as a person. And that's particularly the case when we move into organizations. Because people in their personal lives, with their friends, they often share traumas they've had or how they approach challenges in their emotional life. But in the organization, they're often norms. Don't talk about it. You'll come across as weak. You won't come across yeah. as competent. People don't want to hear about it. Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's juicy. Uh, right off the bat there. And so... It feels like that there's a whole several episodes <laughs> digging into that. Um, but if you could give us the survey preview version and how does one look inside and deal with their stuff? It's so, like, you know, it's so funny. What's coming to mind right now is a line from the TV series Succession. And this character, Roman Roy, says this is what it looks like when uh, you've dealt with all of your issues. <laughs> all your issues are resolved. And, and it's sort of a joke because, well, hey, we all have some ongoing stuff that's never quite fully fully done. But um, so so, what is the, the process or practice or approach we engage in to deal with our internal conflicts and traumas? Well, first, I think it's useful to think about mind consciousness body consciousness, and spirit consciousness. Those are three ways of looking at what's going on inside. Now, first, with mind consciousness, it's like, how does our mind make sense of our life? But it's all mental. It's all thoughts. And we can talk to people about it, whether it's a therapist or reading a book, to uncover those mental assumptions we've made from past experiences, and we can clarify our thinking. But then there's also body consciousness, because it turns out what's stuck in the mind is stuck in the body, into tension patterns. And you can talk all you want about these internal issues with, in fact, I call it talk therapy when you're talking to a therapist, but it is just talk. It's not getting into the body where it's stored. So you can talk all you want. You can try to change your belief systems. You can re-examine your childhood but you have to release it from your body. And that has to do with all kinds of things like yoga and uh, all kinds of uh, massage methods or kinds of exercise. You gotta move. And as you move, your body opens up and you dispel some of these old stories, but that's mind and body. And finally, with spirit consciousness, and that's the greatest challenge to the Western world, is to recognize that we are more than just our mind and our body. In fact, there's this expression, the skin encapsulated ego, as if within our skin, that's who we are. And it's all about ego and mind, whereas we can be much more than that. So spirit is saying we are all connected. 
There's a human consciousness across the entire planet. People resonate with one another. People feel what's going on. People can intuit what's going on far beyond their mind and body. And when you can appreciate that, you say, hmm, what does it mean to have transcendent dialogue where you get a group of people together, either in a family setting or in a workplace, and they have dialogue that goes far beyond. They come up with things that neither of them knew beforehand because they stimulate in one another to tap into this universal consciousness or what C.G. Jung called the collective unconscious. It's been called many names over the years, but there's a consciousness that encircles the globe that we can tap into. Now, what's interesting, I'll tell you a, a, a survey I took, Pete, is I'd be talking to like a few hundred people in an audience and I'd ask, okay, please raise your hand if in your personal life you've done things like yoga, meditation, talk therapy, exercise, and I go down a whole list and 95% of the audience raises their hand and said, yes, I've done that. I've done those things. And then you say, okay, now how many of you are willing to talk about this in the workplace? Mm -hmm. The hands go down. Because as I mentioned, the culture says we don't talk about our personal lives. We keep it to ourselves. In fact, in the old days, what we bring to the workplace is manual labor, hands for hire. Then eventually we developed additional skills we were willing to bring into the workplace. The last remaining area of human capability is bringing consciousness into the workplace. All of you, mind, body, and spirit. That's where creativity and innovation reside. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Well, we are off to the races here. Well, so tell us your your latest book, Creating a Quantum Organization. What's the, the big idea or thesis here? That book I call my legacy book. I previously wrote about 20 books over a period of 50 years, and maybe it was because of the pandemic, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with all this downtime. And I said, last year, this is about a year ago, I said, let me put together a book that integrates everything I've done in 50 years. Can I do that? What would that be like? And that's exactly what I focused on for the entire year. So in the creating a quantum organization, I integrate conflict, change, consciousness and transformation, everything I've done. And I've called it a legacy book because quite honestly, Pete, I don't know of another book I'm going to write. I, mm -hmm. I think I look at that book and I says, this is what I came here to do. This was why I did all my work. This is why I was born to do this book. All right. Well, uh, congratulations. <laughs> that's, that's a spot many of us don't feel like we reach. So, so uh, kudos. That's, that's awesome. Thank you. So we got four zones. I'd like to spend a disproportionate amount of our time talking conflict just because, well, you're so famous for it. And uh, he, this is our moment we have together. Okay. And, and then hit a little bit of a flavor for the others. So uh, you mentioned in, your, in your, uh, your conflict model, five different conflict handling modes. Can you give us a quick kind of feel description for them, what they what they look like in action and, and, and a sense for, is there an ideal time and place for each of them? Well, first, the basic TKI model is two dimensions, assertiveness, cooperativeness. Very simply put, assertiveness is the extent to which you try to get your needs met. Cooperativeness is the extent to which you try to get the other person's needs met. And on that space of the extent to which you're trying to get your needs and other people's needs met, there are these five conflict modes. So competing 
is you're only concerned about your needs. You're not at all concerned about the other person. You want to win the argument, period. Accommodating is just the opposite. You want to help the other person get their needs met. And for the time being, you're not at all concerned about your needs. Maybe that issue is more important to the other person than it is to you. Maybe it's his turn or her turn to get their needs met, whatever. But you give up your need satisfaction to help the other person. Then there's compromising, which is in the middle. We split the difference. We flip a coin. It's somewhere in between competing and accommodating. So you get something you want, I get something I want. But we're both somewhat dissatisfied. It's like 50% of our needs are met, but there's that other 50% that we haven't addressed. In fact, compromising is going back and forth between competing and accommodating. The more you get, the less I get. The more I get, the less you get. I mean, it goes like a seesaw. And compromising is 50-50 in the middle. Now, avoiding is no one gets their needs met. We leave the situation. Now, sometimes there's good reasons to leave the situation. People are not being nice to one another. Uh, people need time to think. People need to collect more information. So they stay away from it until they've done that. That's avoiding. But meanwhile, no one's getting their needs met because they've stayed away from coming up with a resolution. But the fifth mode, which often seems ideal at first, is called collaborating. And that is you're getting all your needs met and I'm getting all my needs met. So we, we completely satisfy our needs. Now, as it turns out, collaborating can only work under a very unique set of conditions. We have to trust one another. We have to really share what we need and want and that it won't be used against us when we share that. We have the time or we take the time to work on the issue. We communicate effectively so we can listen to one another without getting defensive. In other words, collaborating sounds like the ideal but it's not easy to bring about. Sometimes you have to change the situation first, like establishing trust, improving communication skills, setting the time aside to have the discussion. You need to establish the conditions first if you ever hope to collaborate. But for each of those modes, there's a set of conditions where it works best. Now, with the Thomas Kilman instrument, people find out which of those modes they might be using too much or too little. Maybe you approach every situation with competing. You always think you're right. You always think you're more important than the other person. And so you're always trying to assert yourself without any concern of the other. And then you find out, huh, maybe there are times I have to let the other person get their needs met because then they're going to be more favorable to me in the long term. So you, you start thinking about how can I work with other people to bring about an effective resolution of the conflict? And sometimes accommodating, as I mentioned, works best when the issue really isn't that important to you. It's more important to the other person. So why not let have the other person have their way? As I mentioned with avoiding, you don't want to avoid conflicts that are really important to both people in terms of your need satisfaction. But there are times when you need more time to think about it, to talk to other people, to collect information. So what you have to understand with conflict management, there are these five approaches, five repertoire of skills you can use, but learning when to use them and how to use them effectively. For example, I can avoid a group meeting by saying, I've had enough of this nonsense. I don't want to hear this anymore. I'm getting out of here. I stand up, leave the room and slam the door. I'm avoiding uh. Yeah. Or you can avoid by saying, you know, I'm not ready to make a decision yet. Can I have a few more days to think about it and talk about this with my coworkers? That's mm -hmm. avoiding, too. 
but it's done in a much more respectful, dignified manner. So what's important besides knowing those five modes, when to use each of one, each of them in the, in, the, in the correct situation, but then also how do you enact each mode with care, sensitivity, dignity, and respect? Mm-hmm. Well said. Ralph, I have a feeling you've spoken about this before. <laughs> well, uh, for about uh, 50 plus years. In fact, I just spoke with uh, Ken Thomas, my co-author, uh, yesterday, and we uh, kind of reflected that we've, been, we've known each other for 50 years since our days at UCLA. And um, an amazing journey. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, so then we figure out which one is the most appropriate, and then we use the elegant version of that, ideally, in terms of sort of being optimal with your regard to your relationships and needs meeting. And so so I got I got a good sense, I think, in terms of collaboration. Um, seems ideal, but a few things have to occur and we have to have that trust and communication and the time to go there. Accommodation is great when it's really important to them and, and I don't care so much. Can you give us a, a view for when the other uh, approaches are just right? Well, compromising would work best when there's a, a fair amount of stress. You don't have a lot of time to discuss the issue. It's only of moderate importance to both of you. And coming up with an expedient solution allows you then to focus on other more important problems and conflicts. So compromising is very expedient. It doesn't take much time to flip a coin or split the difference. So you and I want to meet. I want to meet at four in the afternoon. You want to meet at two. We say, why don't we make it three o'clock? Instead of spending an hour discussing what time to meet, let's just split the difference. That's compromising. All right, sure. Now, both of us may only be partly satisfied by that because maybe there's reasons we wanted to meet at two or four, but let's talk about the main issues and not get bogged down with something less important like a couple of minutes here or a couple of minutes there. Okay, so there's compromise. And, and uh, how about the others? Well, as I mentioned with avoiding is when the issue is not important or you're overwhelmed by stress, and there's not gonna be a quality discussion if people are overwhelmed with stress. Save it for another day, save it for another meeting. Or you need to collect more information, or you don't wanna be pushed to a decision, or a decision doesn't have to be made till next week or next month. We don't have to do it now. So let's focus on things that have to be done this week that have a higher priority. But as I mentioned, if something is very important to you and someone else, and you avoid it because you don't like conflict, you don't like confrontation, then you're walking around and your needs are not met, the other person's needs are not met. And long term, if you and other people's needs are not met, the, your most important needs, you either disengage from the situation mm -hmm. or you leave. A relationship, a workplace, whatever. People have to get their needs met at some point. Okay. Understood. And I really liked how with the avoiding, you gave us a, a, a fine way to avoid and a not so fine way to avoid. <laughs> Could you give us those illustrations for the others as well? Well, the uh, favorite one is, is competing, where mm -hmm. uh, picture a very autocratic manager slamming his fist on the table saying, we're going to do this. I don't want to hear any argument. And he's shouting, he's screaming, he's pounding his fist, and people are almost too afraid to speak or to do anything different. Mm -hmm. Whereas the healthy side of competing is I'm sitting very calmly and I'm saying, let me share with you why this issue is so important to me. And I'm hoping you can see why I want this to come out in the way I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. 
And if you allow me and you indulge me on this one, when something is that important to you, then I'll concede to you. But please hear me out. That's a completely mm. different approach than putting my fist on the table and shouting at people and talking in people's faces. Both are competing, but they have a completely different impact on others. That's right. Okay. And how about what's sloppy cooperation look like? Well, sloppy cooperation would be, it might be said that there is uh, some stress in the situation, but basically people don't like conflict. Maybe that's something we should talk about, why conflict is often viewed in such negative terms, as if it's bad and we simply want to get rid of it. The world would be a better place if there were no conflict. But as it turns out, conflict is like death and taxes. It's inevitable. You can't get away from it. It's the nature of the universe. But essentially, with, with compromising, it would be, we don't like conflict, so we don't want to talk about it. Let's flip a coin, even though these needs are important to us and we're not getting them satisfied. But I'd rather flip a coin and split the difference than have this discussion with you that makes me uncomfortable. So to move from compromising to collaborating, not only do you have to develop trust, effective communication skills, you have to be comfortable with differences. You have to be comfortable with confrontation and saying, I disagree with you. Please hear me out. This is how I view the situation. I know we can figure this out together, but it's knowing what to say and how to say it to engage other people in addressing the issue. And I might say, Pete, uh, if you look at the world today, I think you might well agree. I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth. There seems to be more conflict now across the globe than ever before in the history of this planet. Whether you're talking what has happened from the pandemic, from politics, divisiveness, systemic racism, climate change, fiscal issues, job issues, economy issues, we are embraced with conflict like never before. Yeah, well, I guess in, in terms of, well, I mean, I only have the years I've been alive on the planet to look at, but it, it sure feels more verbally divisive. But yeah, I hear you. From, from some vantage points, it does seem like there's more conflict than ever before. For no other reason, that there's more humans <laughs> than ever before and more access to ideas and different opinions. And the pandemic and the politics have mm -hmm. put people globally under stress. And under stress, you're less likely to use conflict modes effectively. You're likely to go to the extreme. We've seen people have meltdowns when they're asked to put on masks or to keep their social distance bad meltdowns because they're on overwhelm. And it just takes a little bit to take someone over the edge. You can't use an effective approach with conflict management with dignity and respect when you're totally stressed out. In fact, let me suggest what the TKI conflict model looks like under high stress. Competing becomes fight. Avoiding becomes flight. And accommodating becomes freeze. Fight, flight, freeze, which are the three physiological responses to stress for the sympathetic nervous system. So when we see the saber-toothed tiger, or when we see that we are under a threatening condition where we could lose our life, we go into overwhelm. We fight, fight, flight, or freeze. And so the conflict model that is mindful with collaborating and avoiding and compromising and choosing those behavioral approaches to best match the situation all collapse into fight, flight, freeze under high stress. So what we've seen 
in the U.S. and in other countries is some of the conflicts we might have been better able to resolve without all that high stress. We see a lot of fight, flight, and freeze. Mm -hmm. Depression is freeze. Yeah. So then let's talk a bit about this emotional stuff when it comes to saying, ah, you know what, I just don't like conflict. Or when we are feeling like I'm under a lot of stress. How do we tackle some of that emotional stuff so that it's like, hey, you know what, conflict's all right. You know, maybe it's not my favorite thing, but you know, it's okay. As well as like, it's like taxes, not my favorite thing, but you know, we get through it. It's all right. And as well as the stress, like I'm, I'm freaking out about this thing and I'd be able to uh, resolve it a lot better if I weren't. Uh, so what do I do with this stuff? Well, first I have found it's so important for the reasons I was giving to reduce the amount of stress. If people are under high stress, you cannot have a good conversation. They're going to get one another defensive. They're going to use the extreme forms of the conflict modes that get other people defensive on and on. It's not going to work. So how do you remove the stress? A simple method, and this is from mind, body, spirit modalities, is breathing. You breathe in like for seven seconds. You hold your breath for a certain amount of time. You exhale for seven, eight seconds, and then you take these long, deep breaths, and that resets the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. So it relaxes you. It's called the relax response. So again, you breathe in. I don't remember if it's four or five seconds. Hold your breath for seven seconds. Breathe out for eight, then hold it a little bit more. You do that a few times, you will reset your nervous system. That's so important. Mm -hmm. Now, 478 sounds like Andrew Weil, like sleepy breath. Yeah, it's something like one? that. Okay. Yeah, well, you, you'll find different people. They, they differ. They have a oh, conflict. Oh, there's so many different counts. Do box breathing, 4444. Four, four, four. You know, I mean, there's so many. There's conflict over how many seconds to inhale and then exhale and then hold your breath. But the point is, by slowing down the breathing, making it deeper, you reset your nervous system so you can use your cognitive mind as you're intended to do. So you got to remove the stress. And then what I found very useful is to get a group of people together who have respect for one another and they share how are they responding in today's world? How are they dealing with these issues? How are they approaching it? It's like creating a conflict support group. So we can all say, yes, we are experiencing stress. Let's try to keep that down at a level so we can use our minds as intended. And let's discuss how we're each approaching this so we can support one another. What did you find works when you try this approach or that approach? And then they can talk about it. When this is done in a work setting, it's a thing of beauty, Pete. Because so often they're talking about getting the work done as opposed to saying, but how do we work together as a team? How do we resolve our differences? How can we do this more effectively? There will always be conflict. You cannot get away from it. But the difference is, how you manage it. That makes all the difference in the world. Okay, beautiful. Well, so before we shift gears, anything else you wanna say about conflict? Well, we certainly should look at internal conflict because that's where it all begins. Mm -hmm. So if we have time, I'd like Let's to- do it. Okay, well, in my book, I talk about these four foundational inner conflicts that drive all the outer conflicts. The first one, and this is so basic, are you an energy body or a physical body? Now, sometimes people in the Western world say, well, I'm a physical body. What are you talking about, energy body? Well, in the Eastern world, we're more into 
energy that we radiate, for example, through the seven chakras in the body, than mm -hmm. we are in the Western world where it's all about how we think about things. So the, the question becomes, we're not just physical, we're not just energy, we're both. In fact, I asked the question, are you a physical body or an energy body, which pits the conflict on that model to say either this or that. And you can go back and forth arguing which is which, whereas in fact the collaborating approach says you're not either, you're both. And when you walk into a room and talk to people, it's not just your words that impact people, it's your energy, it's your mood. If you are depressed or sad or angry or you have a lot of pride and arrogance, whatever words you use are going to come out a certain way as opposed to coming into a room with other people and saying similar things, but the energy is one of love, joy, peace, compassion. How different does that sound from anger, fear, grief, pride, and arrogance? Love, joy, peace, and compassion. That's the emotional energies. And when people get in touch with their body and their feelings, and then they radiate that energy, they're not just choosing words. They're choosing what is the energy I use to present these words. The energy I find, Pete, is more important than the words themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can walk into a room and you can feel tension or you can feel joy. It's not the words. It's the energy. So anyone who says, oh, we're just physical bodies, say, walk into a room and tell me what you feel. You can feel it. And what's interesting, you can learn to assess those energies. We don't learn that in the U.S. in our educational programs where everything is about the mind, the head, the intellect. Physical education, we separate the body from the mind. You go to physical education where you do sports and fitness, but you don't really get into your feelings and what sensations are in your body. So we address it by separating it out into physical education, whereas in reality, you can't separate out the mind and the body there together. And someday, educational programs will help children express what they're feeling in their bodies so they're more aware of what they're feeling and what they're all about and who they are. So we, when you say what they're feeling in their bodies and the, um, the, and the emotions and the energies, kind of like an integration might sound something like, my neck feels like things are crawling over it. I'm very uncomfortable and worried about this situation we're in right now. You like that? Exactly. In fact, I would say uh, most of the researchers suggest something comes to you, it first affects your body, and then your mind picks up on it. So if you can say, ha, huh, why is my neck so stiff? Why have I had neck pain for the last two years? What's going on in my life that gives me that kind of attention? I have this anxiety in my solar plexus that doesn't go away. I've taken things for it. What is that all about? Well, that's some tension. But one of the modalities for body consciousness is called somatic experiencing. Somatic is of the body. And you actually pay attention to the tingling and the feelings in your solar plexus. And you pay attention to it. And you stay there. And you focus on it. And guess what? It dissipates. But if you think, well, it's my body and that's separate from my mind and I can't do anything about it and I have to live with this, you're missing the opportunity to look at the signals and the messages that your body's giving you 
even before something gets to the mind where you then conceptualize and say, oh, I must have tension. Well, your body already knows that. So the sooner you pay attention to the body, the quicker you'll get on top of what you're experiencing. Okay. So that's energy and body. How about, what are the other internal conflicts? The second one is, a, is, well, they're all fun. The second one is one of my favorites. Actually, they're all my favorites. But the second one is, are you governed by your ego or your soul? Your ego and soul are two different kinds of inner voices you have that suggest how you should be living your life, how you should make decisions, what actions you should take. And ego, just to give you an idea, is focusing on things like self-image, safety, security, survival, success, immortality, fame, glory, being in control, being in power, being more important than anyone else. Those are ego things. Now, the soul is, why was I born? What am I here to do? What's my special calling? What's my peace in the universe? What will give me the most meaning and satisfaction in life? Why was I put on this planet and given the privilege of life? What does that mean? What am I to do? Ego and soul, I don't mean it to be religious. I don't mean it to be Freudian. It's simply saying the ego is of the mind and the soul is of spirit. It's a beyond the mind body. And those are two different messages. So someone can say, well, my ego wants to live forever and I want to be in control and I want to have more money than anyone else. Fine. Soul says, but what do I want to contribute to society? How can I serve people? And here's what's interesting. Some of the Eastern traditions suggest we have to destroy the ego and feed the soul. I don't believe that at all. Why would you want to destroy or discard any part of you? The issue again, think of the TKI conflict model. It's first either or, I'm governed by ego or soul, but then if I create the right conditions, I can have both. When my ego and soul are on the same page, the ego gives me the energy to pursue my soul's mission. Mm -hmm. When I'm fighting the two, then I'm at odds with myself. My ego doesn't want to do this, so therefore my soul's not going to be satisfied. Or my soul will want to do this, but the ego says, I'm not participating. You go on your own. If you can get ego and soul working in the same direction, on the same mission, then you are maximizing your life, your needs, your contribution to society. All right. Beautiful. So that's the, that's the second one. The third one is also kind of fun. You ready for this? Let's do it. Are your surrounding systems, and I'll define what I mean by that, separate from you or an integral part of who you are? Notice I always say or because we first set it up as that debate on the TKI conflict model before we resolve it into a more integrated, collaborative manner. So essentially is people generally think of the culture of the organization, the reward system, the strategy, the structure, other people as outside them. They're outside my ego encapsulated skin. And therefore, since they're outside of me, they're someone else's responsibility. Now, what happens, Pete, if everyone believes that the systems of the organization are someone else's responsibility? It's not me. I'm mm -hmm. just what's inside me, what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. But what's fascinating is when you realize that we're all in this together, we're all connected, the systems we create are part of our psyche, we can't really be separate from anything. And once people say, you know, I am equally responsible to my surrounding systems. That's a part of who I am. So I think I have to take some steps to improve those systems so that I can create the conditions that we can resolve our conflicts in the healthiest, most successful manner.
And yet what's interesting with that inner conflict, that third one of our systems, a part of you or outside of you, is so fundamental because I always come across people who believe those systems are outside. They're not a part of me. That's someone else's responsibility. And yet, again, I have to emphasize this, Pete. If everyone thinks the system is someone else's responsibility, who's taking care of it? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Like all the discussion now about infrastructure. Is that a part of who we are or is that a problem in other cities, other nations, other bridges, not my bridge? Or are we realize that it's it's all together. In fact, to, to show you the spiritual perspective, someone has asked me once, give me an example of that spiritual perspective when we really recognize we're all in this together and we're all one. And that's the case when you discover that someone on the other side of the globe, say in Africa, is suffering. That suffering is as important and significant to you as if your own child is suffering. There's no difference between a stranger in Africa and your own child. I'm not there yet. Most people aren't. Maybe the Dalai Lama is. But essentially, that is the ultimate where we say, you know, we're part of this human race. We have this consciousness that we all tap into. And if we can work together across the planet, we can all have a better life and get our most important needs met. All righty. And the fourth? The fourth is the hardest to resolve, and that's why it's listed as number four. And I suggest that if you make significant progress with the first three, you are then ready to really deal with the fourth one. And the fourth one is, have you resolved your primal relationships, or is your life still being drained by traumas from the past? In some work situations, picture a group having a meeting and those people are triggering one another from previous relationships 30, 40 years ago, whether they were kids or teenagers where they got hurt. And these people remind them of those people. And so they, they're talking to one another as if they're the ones that hurt them 30 years ago. That's called projection. Actually, the full psychological dynamic is splitting. I don't like this, so I'm going to get it away from me. Projecting. I'll put it on the other person and then I'll attack the other person. <laughs> so basically, unless you've resolved your primal relationships, it's hard for you to be present with the people that are right in front of you. You are projecting unresolved stuff from previous caregivers, from people who perpetrated you with one injury or another, a dog you lost, a brother, a friend, whatever. And that's your life. You're living that way. You can't interact with the people in the present and resolve conflict if you're reacting or the phrase is you're being triggered by unresolved problems in the past. So the more we can help people resolve the primal relationships, more of their consciousness will be present in the moment to address the really important issues and get people's most important needs met. But it's the hardest because who wants to go back and examine those demons? But if you don't, you'll spend the rest of your life perhaps running for them. That's the ultimate avoiding, is to say, I don't have any issues, I'm done with the traumas, I'm over it. And meanwhile, they're yelling at other people as if they're yelling at the people who hurt them 30 years ago. So if in an organization, we had people who worked through those four inner conflicts, energy, physical body, ego versus soul, separate systems versus integral part of me, primal relationships. If people have worked through that, then their consciousness, all their mind, body, spirit 
is fully available to contribute to the organization today and tomorrow. All right. Beautiful. Now, whose responsibility is it? You can say, well, people should do their own therapy, their own meditation, their own exercises, their own massages, on and on. Or if the human resource objective is to get the most of the human resources talent in the organization working in the same direction, maybe organizations need to take responsibility to help people develop their mind, body, spirit, consciousness, and then make sure that's brought into the organization. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I, I think that when there's a great ROI to be had, organizations should just go for it. <laughs> that, that, that's my take. So I, I love it when I hear things like um, providing incentives for sleeping enough. It's like, right on, go for it. That's great. Sleep is important and it makes a huge difference. So it's if a little bit of a, a nudge or an incentive can improve people's sleep, which improves their thinking, their creativity, their their stress and, and, and collaboration, then I, I am all for it. E even if it feels a little weird or different. I think we're of the same mind there. Well, what's interesting, Pete, is in today's world, so many people have heard about and experienced meditation, yoga, physical exercise, talk therapy, self-help books. There's so much out there and they're doing it. The problem is often the organizational culture says it's taboo to talk about that and bring it into the organization. And yet, when I work with organizations and we begin that discussion and people start sharing their personal journeys, again, they have to trust one another. Culture has to support it. So some preliminary work has to be done. But then, my goodness, does the conversation open up. So we regularly have these meetings in the organization where we talk about this stuff and you build bonds and connection and understanding. You develop relationships at a deeper level so that you can solve the most complex problems with your fellow colleagues. It makes a huge difference. And then you go into an organization where no one's allowed, based on the culture, to talk about those things. It's taboo. We don't talk about it. The last time someone said they were visiting a therapist, they were laughed at, told that they were crazy. Don't do that again. Take care of yourself. People will hurt you. People are closed off. Then how can you work together to solve complex problems if you're so guarded, so defensive, and you don't know who you are, and what brings you bliss. Great perspectives, Ralph, thank you. Now can we hear a few of your favorite things, starting with a favorite quote? One is by uh, Lei Zhu, and it says, if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're at peace, you're living in the present. I think it was Oprah who said, doing your very best in this moment is the best preparation for the next moment. So how do you get present instead of projecting all that junk and unresolved stuff from the past or being engrossed with fear about what's likely to happen in the future? Stay present, be conscious, work with people. I think that's essential. All right. And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I guess recently I read a book that really impressed me. It was, it's a book by uh, Colin Tipping called Radical Forgiveness. Absolutely brilliant. And it's about the resolution of primal relationships. And it's really saying that even when something bad happens, the spiritual perspective is to look at it and say, how is this really a gift? What is this showing me that I've been unresolved about? Yes, I'm angry. Yes, I'm frustrated. I want to hurt that other person for what he said. But wait a minute. It's a gift. What did that person trigger in me that I haven't yet resolved? 
And then in terms of forgiveness, it's not even saying, I forgive you for doing that. It's like, thank you for doing that. You allowed me to look at something in myself I would have never looked at if you hadn't triggered me. Thank you. It's a blessing. And right. when we can see events in life as spirit giving us an opportunity to further grow and examine, it's not about being angry. It's about finding out why did I have that emotional response? It's a signal that I haven't developed or resolved something. So let me do that now and become a better person so I can serve others and society more effectively. That's radical forgiveness. And how about a favorite tool? Something you used to be awesome at your job. A tool? I think of tools in terms of assessment tools. All right. And besides the TKI conflict model and the TKI instrument, which measures those five, I've developed, oh, at least 10 other assessment tools. And what's fascinating, I find, when people say, why do you develop those instruments? I said, I'll give you a radical statement. Even if they're not entirely valid and no instrument can be entirely valid, when you give somebody a number and say, this is how you resolve conflict, or this is the cultural issues that concern you, or here are your beliefs, you put a number on it and people say, what does that mean? What number did you get? They start talking about it. The beauty of assessment is you personalize the topic, whether it's culture or courage or conflict, and then people start talking about it. They want to say, how did I come out on this? Why did you get a higher score than I did? What does that mean? It just opens up the dialogue. So I find for me assessment tools that pinpoint something important about people's lives, either at home or at work, is an opening to get concrete about a topic so we can learn more. All righty. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Best would be my website which is www.kilman1l2ndsdiagnosticsplural.com. And that has everything on it. And of course, my recent legacy book, Creating a Quantum Organization, there's nothing else for me to write. It's all in there. <laughs> it's weird for me to say that, Pete, but it's like I have nothing else to do. I think I've, I've completed it. Now, we'll see what happens in six months, okay? All righty. <laughs> and you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes, recognize that even though it sounds difficult, can be a little fearful, is look in the mirror, because that is the essence of who you are. Discover yourself, love yourself. If you love yourself, all good things will happen. But you can't love yourself if you're running away from yourself and everything that's happened to you. So while it's difficult, the rewards are huge for you and everyone that works with you. Well, Ralph, thank you. It's been a real treat. I wish you much luck with your book, Creating a Quantum Organization, and the rest of your fun projects. Thank you so much, Pete. It's always a pleasure to talk about these issues because they, they drive everything else. I really love what Ralph had to say, that we don't always have to go with the collaboration mode. And it makes sense to just take a step back and think, okay, what's the best way to approach this one? Okay. Realizing that you have options in and of itself, for me, de-stresses things a little bit. And then furthermore on the de-stressing, I love what he has to say about breathing. I've been getting into breathing lately. Been loving the Breathwork app. There's a link in the show notes to that. It's just spelled Breathwork without the O because they got to be cool like that, I guess. And I found it's made some cool impacts associated with you know de-stressing and emotional regulation and all that. So Good stuff from Ralph. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP753. Hope to catch you next time and peace. 
Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.